Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins, and we had a number of great questions that came in this week. Many of the questions were quite philosophical in nature about how to transition between different phases of your learning of Chinese. And of course, we represent that as the different phases of the Mandarin Blueprint Method video course. So uh, great questions that came in. We're going to get into them. But I wanted to mention that I called this podcast Grinding versus gear shifting, which is meant to be a metaphor for how we can think about when we level up in our Chinese learning. So if we go from learning just characters to learning characters and words, or we learn, we go from learning sentences to learning longer form uh, stories or conversations or dialogues, how do we transition? And there's sort of a a sense in which we want to grind that out, but really it should be more of a gear shift like you have in a car. So let's talk about that as we move forward. And I'll start off by talking about two comments that are very similar, one coming from Tristan Knotts and one coming from Igor Alink. So Tristan says in the, I think it's the second or third story in phase four, he says, wow, what a feeling to follow along with long form content and being able to understand. I listened to this story, which is Walk in the Park. I've got Hansa to study all the way through. And I was thinking, yes, this totally makes sense. And then I looked back and realized there was no pinyin or translation, just Chinese characters. Very cool. And then Igor Alink on which is a another story in phase four. He says, still reading like a kid, but I'm so happy to be able to understand it. Uh, this is, these two comments I put right up front for a reason, because these guys have sort of realized something that's kind of important. One is that Tristan has recognized that the fact that he can understand anything of a long-form story without pinyin or translation is a huge achievement, right? It's like, even if you don't understand it, and maybe if you're like Igor, and you realize, I'm still kind of reading like a kid, the fact that you've gone from knowing nothing about Chinese at all to being able to read these longer form pieces of content is a glorious achievement. It's just one of those things where, you know, the road to get there was so step by step and so piecemeal that you might not have felt it on a day to day basis. But there you are, you just read a paragraph of text that had a beginning, middle and end and you understood it without anything other than these squiggles on the page. At least they were like squiggles to you only a few months ago. And uh, another comment in a similar vein is from Faraz. Faraz, we did a case study with uh, a few months back, a very interesting guy. And he went back and watched that sort of <laughs> kind of now famous video of Luke sitting on the bench in uh, the park Wangjiangongyuan and talking in Chinese about the process of learning Chinese. And he said, it's amazing watching this again now that I'm about three quarters of the way through the course. I had no idea what he was saying without the subtitles when I first watched it. Now I'm picking up a lot, and I can also appreciate how outstanding Luke's accent is. Luke does have incredible pronunciation. And, you know, so this is an, an example of somebody who has taken another moment this week, had a moment of reflection and went, oh, you know, this is actually um, real progress that I've made. The fact that I couldn't understand literally any of what Luke was saying before, and now you can pick up a lot of it. You know, and Luke is an advanced Chinese learner, right? He's a very advanced Mandarin Chinese speaker. So it's like the fact that you could understand that, and he speaks very much like a native, practically the same. Um, and so the fact that you understand that is really huge. Now, I'd like to contrast this with a comment left by Frederick in the community forum. And, uh, you know, I've already communicated my response to Frederick and he was very happy with the new attitude I suggested to him but let's take a look at what he said and he was in a very similar stage of the course to Tristan from the first comment and he says regretfully at level 21 I have struck a little roadblock with the English translation of transferring money by smartphone or bank which I believe is the second uh, long-form piece of content in phase four uh let me explain. I have systematically translated each individual character, and the overall result does not read well. For example, Imwei translates as cause for. In this simple example, I know it's common use in speaking that it means collectively because. 
However, as I move through the more complicated dialogue, translating each character by itself, I find myself in a muddle, not knowing when to translate a single character or a combined character. How should I get over this hurdle? Right, so this is a very, very interesting uh, problem that Fred has run into. And essentially, what he's finding is that the, the difference here between Fred and what was going on with Tristan and Igor is grinding versus gear shifting. Fred is trying to grind this out. He's trying to literally translate every individual character and see if he can delineate the meaning this way. But this is actually still, it's like a car trying to remain in a lower gear, but moving faster. And you've got that, that awful sound the engine makes when it hasn't shifted gears and it's kind of whining and it's like, it's like really grinding it out. And what you really need to do is shift your gear and shift the way that you're approaching the uh, content in order to move through it faster and get more out of it. So one thing, Fred suggested translating each individual character. But the, the problem with this is that this is actually going two layers down or maybe even three layers down depending on how you're thinking of it. So Chinese stacks up on layers. The first foundational layer is the pinyin so understanding how things are pronounced understanding the initials finals tones and how all of that works together it can be understood in a very short amount of time hence why we made pronunciation mastery so that's your very base layer then the next layer is character components what makes up the characters right it, w w this component means person this component means door this component means uh, hand this component means an ancient halberd Right, So there's these different components of a character, and they combine to bring you to the third layer, which is characters themselves. Right, and So characters are morphemes, so which that means they have meaning, but they aren't necessarily words. Some of them are words, and some of them are not. It depends on the type of character. So in the same way that uh, ED in English is a morpheme, if I say watch versus watched, the ED does have meaning, but you can't just use it by itself. I can say Ed and have a, well, I suppose somebody's name could be Ed, but, you know, generally speaking, the ED at the end of a word is not a uh, word, but it is a morpheme. And so characters function like that. Some of them are like watch, some of them are like ED, right? Then you move up to the fourth layer, which is vocabulary. And on vo the vocabulary level, you take the meanings of the two characters, you combine them, and you come up with a new transformed meaning. So as Fred pointed out, sometimes this is something like Yimwei, cause for, and you can go, okay, well, that means because. And so the transformation is fairly clear. Sometimes it's very clear like that. Sometimes it's not. It depends on uh, how they interact and the way that, you know, the Chinese language interprets their relationship. So that's that level. And then, of course, you go to the fifth level, which is taking words, putting them together, and creating sentences. Now, of course, in Chinese, there's three main elements of grammar. One, word order. Two, adding words to change the meaning. And three, word form changes. Luckily, Chinese doesn't have any word form changes. So there's no, you know, go, gone, went, all of that stuff, you know, uh, good, better, best. There's none of that in Chinese. It's just adding or removing words uh, and or changing their order to create grammar. Now, those two things do matter, and there are times where you'll go, okay, even though everything in the sentence follows a certain flow because I added this thing right at the end, it changes the whole meaning of the sentence, that can happen. So that's something you kind of got to get used to when you switch to the sentence level, which is what we do at level 13, and we start doing sentences from there. Then the next layer is to take sentences put them together to create a longer form story. And this is still grammar because, you know, the one of the things that we get a lot of questions about is relating to the context in which a sentence might be said. So people will read an individual sentence and they'll be perplexed and go, well, I don't understand in what context might you read this sentence. But of course, if you actually were to see it in the context of a larger paragraph, it would make sense. So sometimes just because you can't imagine the context doesn't mean it's not there. It's just because at this particular moment, that context is not clear to you, which is why sentences alone aren't really enough. You really need to start uh, seeing sentences at a higher level of context. So here we have 
So, so let's go over that again. Base layer, opinion, second layer, character components, third layer, characters, fourth layer, words, fifth layer, sentences, sixth layer, paragraphs, let's just say, longer form content. So here we have Fred looking at sixth layer, longer form content, and he's translating it at the third layer characters. So he's dropping down three layers to try to understand the sixth layer. Now, this would be similar to going from words and trying to use the character components to try to understand them. So let's take the word woman, woman. This word means us. Now, the two characters are wo, which means I, and man, which is the indication of plural for humans. Now, the components of the characters for wo, you have the left side component is show, which means hand. The right side component, which shares a stroke with show, is halberd, a Chinese ancient weapon, a halberd. And then uh, for men, you have the left side component as meaning person, and the right side component uh, meaning door. So you have hand, uh, halberd, person, door. How in the heck does that mean us or we, right? It's, it doesn't make any sense because the context is two layers apart. However, if we take the two characters, I and plural, then of course I and plural, you're like, oh, okay, that's us. So it's very easy if you go from one layer to the just one, like this, the layer of words, which is the fourth, uh, sorry, the layer of characters, which is the third level, to the layer of words, which is the fourth level. They're only one layer apart, so it's easier to understand how they relate to each other. However, when you go to the, if you were to go two layers down from components on the second layer up to words at the fourth layer, it's really hard to understand, which is what Frederick is doing when he's trying to translate each character individually. It should be based on the words first. So that's the first sort of critique. And the instinct to go character by character is based on the instinct of trying to grind it out as opposed to realizing that you're in a new phase where the techniques to uh, achieve success requires a different type of attention. So the attention that you want to give to a longer form text is like this. You, you read through and you, you understand what you naturally understand. You look through it, you read the, uh, the words, the characters, and you know if there are certain words that we haven't introduced before, we mark them and we say these are the top-down words in this particular uh, paragraph. But the idea is that you relax and just understand what you can. Now, here's why you do that. One, sentences are infinite. Unlike characters and words, which are very important and they're the constituent elements of the entire language and therefore are mandatory to learn, any individual sentence is one of infinite possibilities of how you could put together the characters and words, right? So no one sentence is essential, whereas many characters and many words are essential. If you don't learn them, you're going to struggle, right? So, but no one sentence is essential. So that's the first principle. The second principle is that if you stop to try to figure out why you don't understand a sentence, so you read a sentence and you go, I don't know why, I don't know what's up with this sentence. Let me pull out Pleco. Let me pull out, um, you know, online resources, Google Translate, whatever, and really dig into why I don't understand this. There's an opportunity cost with that. And the opportunity cost is that you didn't keep reading. So. Let's imagine you have 100 sentences that you're reading, and you are able to understand 80 of them. What's going to get you to 80 understood sentences faster? Continuing to read when you don't understand something, or stopping every time you don't understand something? Well, I mean, obviously, it's the former. If you keep going and just go, I don't really understand that right now, but I'm going to keep going, there's a couple of things that can happen. One, you'll get to the point of having 80 understandable sentences faster, which is the whole uh, key to language acquisition success is um, getting as many understandable bricks as possible. But also, sometimes you'll understand a sentence that you didn't understand 
when you keep reading, right? So when you keep reading and you see how the next sentence is, so suppose you have three sentences and you understand the first and the third, but the second one is a little bit perplexing to you. Well, maybe the third gives you a clue as to what the second sentence meant. So if you stopped and then you kept reading, you'd feel like a fool because you'd be like, oops, I stopped and I looked this up and I figured it out and I would have easily figured it out just by reading the next sentence. So you have to leave that possibility open. Uh, and also, you're, you're playing a bigger game here. You're playing a game called generally understand how to read Chinese sentences. And so there's a practical thing that we're going to do. We haven't implemented this yet, but it won't take us very long to do. One of the things that we're going to do is reintroduce these stories, these longer form stories from phase four, when you've reached 98% comprehension of the stories. So, the for example, at the time of arriving at the story, you might have 80 to 90% uh, comprehension, which is actually too little. Uh, but it's pretty much impossible at phase four to have an interesting story that is also 98% comprehension. 98% comprehension is what's called extensive reading as opposed to intensive reading. So you're still in that intensive uh, side of it. So, But we, we do want to get you starting to get the feel for longer form content at this point. But we will reintroduce it to you later in the course when you should be able to recognize 98% of the words and characters in the paragraph. So what should that let you do? It should let you relax because if you don't understand something, you definitely will later. And that's kind of something that will let you kind of not worry too much about it. So that's that's one point. Another point about this is that we are going to eventually add in some preview lessons here so that we can give you a couple of little tips. But still, even, even then, that's not really – I mean, that'll help, but that is not something that is uh, – essential here. The main thing is an attitude shift because, and it's a gear shift, right? It's a gear shift to recognize that right now your goal is to get as many comprehensible sentences in your system as possible because that is what leads to language acquisition. And it might feel like the solution to that is to try to understand every individual sentence you run across, but really the solution to that is to keep reading. And what happens is as you keep reading, you get better at the meta skill. And so at the beginning of level 21 or the second story in level 21 as Fred is at the situation is that he's just started. He's just in the process of being kind of his engine is starting to indicate to him. You better shift gears. You better shift gears. And he's still trying to stay in that lower gear and he's grinding it out. Right. But there is, first of all, there is a level of grinding out that you need to do at the beginning, but sec at the beginning of any new phase. But secondly, uh, it, there's a new technique that needs to be done here. You don't have to go into as much detail. Like unlike characters where you need to think about everything and you need to do the whole Hansa movie method to remember all the elements of a character and make sure you remember the the pronunciation and the tone and the character components and the meaning and you need to do all these things. In the case of sentences and grammar understanding, you actually have to take a much less intensive approach. You must take a more holistic approach where you're just trying to go, oh, I understand this. Don't quite understand that. No big deal. Understand that. Good. Understand that. Don't quite understand that. Cool. Fine. And as you just let it happen like that, then that's what leads to uh, success in the long run. And I guarantee you when Fred sees this or, or sorry, when Fred gets to a later part of the course, he's going to look back at this level and go, oh, what was I so worried about? I was totally going to get this. Like, I thought this was so hard at the time, but it, because I just kept going and then went back to it, now I see how easy it was. It's like, you know, it only seems so hard because we tell ourselves it's always going to be this hard. And that's an illusion. That's something that at the beginning of every single phase, of course, it's the hardest it will ever be. The beginning of phase three, when you start learning sentences, reading sentences is the hardest it will ever be. When you get to phase four and you read longer form content, it's the hardest it will ever be. It's just how it works. It's just how it goes in the long run. So um, you're still in that phase. But, you know, what's interesting is that you only have one more phase, which goes to, like, even longer form content in the form of fairy tales. But then the intermediate course, we call that course the consolidation course because you've already done the main things. You've done the main 
uh, processes. You figured out how to pronounce things. You know what character components are and how to remember them. You know what characters are and how to remember them. those. And you understand that they're morphemes. You learned how to connect to your lived experiences to remember individual Chinese words. You know how to read sentences and you can figure out the basic grammatical structures of most sentences. And then you figured out how to read them in short dialogues and short opinion pieces and short stories. And then you've read them in you figured out how to read longer form stories. So all you do in the intermediate course is just keep doing all those things. Just keep going. There's no new major concepts that you have to do once you reach the intermediate course. So for Fred, you're in phase four or five of the foundation building where you've got your basic tenets of how to run or how to learn Chinese under your belt. And once you get to the end of level 36, all your basic tenets are established. And all you have to do is consolidate at that point. Just keep going with all of them. And uh, so hopefully this is helpful to more than just Fred and... Uh, this is the kind of thing that it's, I love this type of uh, feedback because it helps you. It helps people understand that there's always these moments. There's all the always these moments of feeling like, oh no, this is a new thing that's tough, and wh what do I do about it? Well, hopefully this these few um, bits of advice will help make that all clear. So thank you to Fred for that question. Next we have a comment from Gavin Meekin on the you did it lesson at the end of pronunciation mastery he says hi Luke and Phil I've just finished the pronunciation mastery course and I'm feeling really positive about where my Mandarin learning journey is now headed I'm by no means a complete beginner having spent some time living in Taiwan but for the first time I'm seeing a clear picture or blueprint as to what steps I need to take to reach my language learning goals in terms of the Pronunciation Mastery course, it is incredibly comprehensive. I found some of the pronunciation lessons challenging and a bit awkward, as I've mostly been exposed to Taiwanese Mandarin up until this point. That said, I'm starting to appreciate the importance of recognizing and understanding the different dialects, especially Standard Mandarin, and I've enjoyed the challenge this course has offered. I also found this course really useful in that it has encouraged me to objectively reflect on my pronunciation, identify my pronunciation weaknesses, and start making corrections. Moving forward, I'm excited to dive into the Mandarin Blueprint Method Foundation course and see where it takes me. I'm one of those guys that made lots of mistakes early on, trying to speak too much, learning vocabulary out of context, not focusing on learning characters, not bothering to read, etc. And then after a few years of making little progress, I gave up. I thought it was too hard for me and, and that I'd never be able to quote-unquote, get Mandarin. Thank you for showing me that that's not the case. Thank you for reigniting my desire to learn Mandarin. Thank you for sharing your experiences, knowledge, and tips. Most importantly, even though we haven't met, thank you for believing in me. It's nice to feel like someone's got my back. Cheers, gents. Well, you know, first of all, it's good that you're coming from a place of uh, understanding that it is absolutely possible that you feel grateful that somebody has shown you that gratitude is a huge part of feeling content in life. And, you know, it's, um, it's interesting that the fact you're right, we do believe in you because we believe that the problem with Mandarin being perceived as the difficult, most difficult language in the world is not because it actually is, or that it's somehow inherently hard. It's because the techniques are incorrect, but the average human mind to learn if they use the right techniques to learn Mandarin should absolutely be able to do it. It's just a matter of time and attention. You know, if you can manage to uh, time and attitude, I suppose time, attention, and attitude. The language learning tripod, as Steve Kaufman is uh, want to uh, say. So, uh, excellent feedback there, Gavin, and uh, congratulations on completing pronunciation mastery. I'm sure you're going to succeed in the long run. Next, we have a couple of comments from Hank Elliott. Uh, some interesting stuff here from him. He says, hey, Luke and Phil, this is my first time writing a detailed post of my thoughts about your course. First of all, thank you so much for such a great course. I'm hooked. I've been trying to teach myself Chinese for about five years by listening to listening to 150 Pimsler lessons like a hundred times. Four years of college texts on my own, several idiom and proverb books, the entire journey to the West with translation, etc., etc., etc. Total failure till I met you guys, probably because I'm 60 years old and never succeeded to learn a language because it had to be the hardest thing on earth in my mind. 
I became interested in Chinese when I visited Guilin and Yangshuo back in 1993. Wow. I went with a woman who was a, a teaching assistant at Yale in Chinese, so I didn't have to speak a word. But I fell in love with the culture and people and language then. I assumed I could never learn the language, but over the years I learned several styles of Kung Fu, practiced Chinese acupuncture, did Tai Chi daily, and have used Qigong to help myself through many things, not to mention my addiction to everything Bruce Lee or Donnie Yen. Then my 88-year-old father began to decline intellectually, which freaked me out because he literally was the smartest person I ever knew. Electrical engineer with IQ of 150. Wow. I've always been much healthier than him physically, but how could I avoid the fate on the tiny brain in my own head? So I decided to do the hardest thing I could ever do for my brain. Thus, my Chinese language journey began. But it's been so frustrating seeing the same characters a thousand times and never being able to even carry on a conversation with my sushi guys from uh, Fujian. Uh, a, I know sushi is a Japanese thing, but in Fujian province in China, sushi is also very popular. Only a couple of months into your course, and I am sailing through reading without the crutch of pinyin. He shares a, a few uh, scenes, which you can read in the show notes if you'd like. But he uh, also left another comment that's relevant here, which is in the Make a Movie for Cool. He said, Phil and Luke, this method is just too much fun. How can learning the world's most diff difficult language be so much fun? Thank you tons for the Mandarin Blueprint method. The stories I've come with are impossible to forget when emotion is attached to them. As I imagine King Kong desperately trying to find Clifford on my front lawn and him opening his mouth only to have another open next to him singing Big Boys Don't Cry. <laughs> I laughed so hard I spilled my drink on my little notebook. Even the booze stain on that book will bring a chuckle to my studies. Thank you, thank you. So uh, I'm so glad that Hank has been finding such value uh, out of the course. What an interesting story. You know, um, to be in uh, China in 1993 must have been very fascinating. I mean, China was significantly poorer then. I mean, they'd had maybe 14 years at that point of the reform and opening up. But the reform and opening up took, you know, it took a long time to really start to make the economy boom. It took about 20 years, I would say. China's economy really started to boom in the 2000s and, you know, 2010s as well. Uh, and so it's kind of like, in 1993, I imagine it must have been a very, very different experience, but he still was able to see the culture. You know, this is my controversial opinion that I sometimes talk about, which is that people will say that the Cultural Revolution uh, succeeded in its plan to uh, destroy past Chinese culture, and I think it's nonsense. I think that the Cultural Revolution tried and failed. Uh, it definitely wounded the country, uh, for sure. I don't, I'm don't. i not saying that the Cultural Revolution had no effect on the culture, but uh, the Confucianism, the Taoism, the sort of uh, ideas about family values, um, you know, in communism, the idea is that you're not, like, the the family is your country, the family is the workers, the family is not your biological family, and now, clearly, family values are hugely important. So Confucianism is not gone. Um, now, Confucianism is also not related to, say, something like democracy. So it's not a surprise that they're not a democracy yet. But like, or maybe they never will be. But it's it's one of those things where people will say that the Cultural Revolution was a, uh, a success. And I think it's not a success at all. Uh, hence why he was able to feel so much of the Chinese culture uh, in even in 1993. So really interesting stuff. You know, I'm glad to hear that you do uh, Tai Chi and Qigong. That stuff is really, really peaceful. Put your mind at ease in, in, in a way that, you know, I've done a little bit of it and it's, it's a, uh, can be very helpful at putting your mind at ease. And it's, you know, it's our pleasure to put this stuff together for you, uh, Hank. It's, it's the kind of thing that, you know, we're very pleased to um, try to provide people with a way of learning Mandarin that is way more intuitive, way more fun, less focused on uh, trying to be academically relevant. I, should, I guess we would say, like, I don't care about being academically relevant. I just want it to work, you know. And so uh, thanks so much for your comments, Hank. We really appreciate it. Next, we have a post from Raina in the community. I know that Raina recently became a lifetime member of the course. She says, hmm, I guess I forgot to ever introduce myself, LOL. I'm Raina from Michigan. I've been married to my adorable husband for 34 years. We have no kids. I, I don't work due to chronic uh, illnesses. I think she, she, she said I don't work secularly. I think she might have meant to 
mean seriously. Um, but either way, I'm sorry to hear that you have chronic illnesses. My youngest brother married a lovely young lady from China. They have one daughter, preschool age, and live in California. His mother-in-law also moved in with them last year. I just finished the pronunciation mastery course and have embarked on the Mandarin Blueprint method. I think the course is brilliantly laid out. I've required lots of other resources in the past year, but am making the most real progress since starting Mandarin Blueprint. I started a new graded reader, reader chapter today and was amazed how much better I did than a couple months ago. I am going at my own slow pace through the Mandarin Blueprint course, but so long as I keep moving forward consistently, I know I'll reach my Chinese language goals. Trivia, I love to read sci-fi and mysteries, do crafts like beading, knit, crochet, build computers, watch old movies and musicals, cook a lot because I have to, but I'm actually not bad at it. I like learning about lots of things, ADHD brain at work. I used to work in a bank. My former language experience is that I was an advanced Spanish student in high school 40 years ago and could read, et cetera, and could read uh, very well, but couldn't get sentences to form in my head and come out of the mouth except when reading aloud. I also learned a few hundred words in... Khmer, uh, Cambodian, 30 years ago from friends, but have forgotten pretty much all of it. I still read or get a book of songs in Spanish to, sp to sing occasionally, but I'd love to pursue both of those languages again in a few years. So what I would say uh, right off the bat is that if you know, okay, I love to read sci-fi and mysteries and do crafts and, and knit and crochet, you know, prepare yourself to look for resources in Chinese about those interests. Because if you... Uh, find the things that you're interested in in your target language, uh, then you will be more okay with not understanding parts of it. So uh, Stephen Krashen used to talk about, Dr. Stephen Krashen, the famous uh, language acquisition input hypothesis uh, doctor, he uh, loves Star Trek, and he found ways to read Star Trek in uh, Russian or other languages he was trying to learn. And he said he could have like 60% comprehension and he would still be really happy because he loved the content. And so, you know, if you can read some sci-fi in Chinese or uh, some sci-fi, especially if it's a translation of something you've already read, uh, find like, you know, knitting or crocheting Yoku videos of Chinese people explaining it. Uh, I'm sure that you'll enjoy it because you already enjoy the activity. Uh, so that's going to be uh, helpful. And you mentioned that you're going at your own slow pace for the Manor of Blueprint course. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't, there's no race. You know, it's, it's obviously, you know, if you get to a point where you can fluently communicate and literally understand people uh, a year earlier, maybe you make more money that year. But so, you know, it's, it's just not that, it's not that important to get there at a certain time. Like, we know people have goals. So we'll say on our website, you could do this. And, you know, in two years, you could. Uh, potentially pass the HSK-6 if you started with Mandarin Blueprint, which we believe to be possible. But we also recognize that that's really a statement for the most committed, most uh, sort of focused students. But, like, the key is habits. It's not – goals are less important than habits. If you just make Mandarin a habit, then the goal kind of becomes irrelevant. It's just make the habit continue, just continue the habit. And once it becomes a habit, continuing it is just a matter of momentum. So it's just like, you don't need to continue the habit and struggle the habit of brushing your teeth. You just do it, right? And it's just part of your momentum, part of your day. If it didn't fit into your day, you would feel like something was missing. Um, and so if it becomes like that with Mandarin, then the momentum will keep you going for years and years. And then you, you did it. And it didn't matter that you had a goal about it. Like the goal can be helpful. I'm not saying that goals are not helpful. I'm just saying that like, if you could choose either a habit or a goal, I choose the habit every time. Uh, it's way better that way. So thank you for uh, your contributions, Raina. And I do see your comments frequently in the course and uh, we really appreciate it always. Next, we have a question from Joe Sutcliffe and this is more of a grammar question. He says, on new vocabulary unlocked for xia qu. He says, I'm a little unsure as to when to as when to interchange the words like xialai and xiaqu, which means come down or go down. Obviously, one means go down and one means come down, but are they partially interchangeable? For example, if I was in a building and I wanted to meet someone on a higher floor, I could say both wo shanglai and wo shangqu. Does using one or the other seriously alter the message I am trying to convey? So 
the answer, it's it's interesting. He said that they're partially interchangeable, and the answer is yeah, because there's you know there's this thing that we do all the time when we're communicating with people, which is that we step into their shoes and communicate is it from their perspective, right? It's just a natural thing that we do from time to time, especially when you're on the phone, say. Like, so suppose you're on the phone and somebody's on a higher floor and you say, uh, what you're saying is that from your perspective, I'm coming up, right? And that's just such a natural thing that we do all the time. We don't even think about it. Now, technically, you should maybe say, but why should it have to be from your perspective the way you're speaking? I mean, like, it's like if you empathize with somebody and you go, from your perspective, I'm coming up uh, instead of going up. From my perspective, I'm going up. From your perspective, I'm coming up. And I'm on the phone with you and I'm going to just think about it from your perspective because, heck, I'm going to be in your house in a second. It's not like it's hard for me to understand how it might feel for you. So, um, you know, and but it wouldn't. It's one of those things where you wouldn't even really think about it either way. It's not like if I said, uh, uh, I'm coming up or I'm going up, either the person I'm on the phone with would think anything of it. So they pretty much are interchangeable. And, uh, you know, there's probably some context in which using one is wrong and using the other is right. But in most daily life concept, uh, in most daily life situations, you're going to, um, find it to be interchangeable. Now, here's an example where it would be one would be right and one would be wrong. So suppose I was saying uh, there there's we were just talking about xia lai xia qu and shang lai shang qu and uh, there's also guo lai guo qu. That's when you're on the same plane. So shang lai and shang qu are related to going up, so you're going up in you're not on the same plane and xia lai xia qu is going down, not on the same plane. If you're on the same plane, you're you're on the ground floor, uh you would say Guolai for come over and guochu for go over, right? And so in the suppose you're standing with somebody and you need to tell them to go over there and deal with something, uh, you would say guochu. In that situation, you would not say guolai because first of all, they're already here, right? And so uh, usually you'll say guolai to someone when they're far away from you and you're saying, come over here, guolai, right? So in that case, one would be right and the other would be uh, wrong, but it just kind of, you know, it's all context, all context as usual. And really, it doesn't feel any different from how it is in English. So it's just, it's easy to kind of overthink it because if you just read a bunch of it and consider what, you know, imagine it in your mind and uh, just think about what you might say in English, it's not really all that different. I can't really think of any differences at the moment in terms of, you know, how we would express it. Steve Bythway on New Vocabulary Unlocked for Zheng Shi. The sentence, 我正式找他谈话了, seems such an odd sentence. Are you saying you officially found him for a discussion or that the discussion was formal? Right, so this is a good question. So, um, And this is also a question that once again illustrates the point that uh, a sentence by itself often isn't enough to understand a certain amount of context. So, for example, uh, if you were to add a beginning to this sentence, so, 我所有的资料都准备好了以后，我正式找他谈话了。So, so, uh, after all my materials were prepared, 我所有的资料都准备好了以后，after all my materials were prepared, I officially looked for him to talk. So we can understand in that situation that there's something you need to do and like you need to get some stuff together. And then, and that process of officially going to find him for a discussion is really being applied to the whole rest of the sentence, not just to which is the verb. So it's one of those things where, yeah, you see it by itself and it might not make too much sense. You add a little bit to it. And then suddenly it does make sense. So you can imagine a situation where you had to get a bunch of things together first. And then after that's finished, you officially go to find somebody for to have a discussion. And usually tanhua is a bit more uh, it's a bit more of a formal discussion as opposed to shuohua, which is just to speak or or liao tian or liao tian, which means just have a chat. Right. Um, so anyway, cool. Hopefully that makes that clear. He said that uh, that answer helped him understand it. Jason Pond on new vocabulary unlocked for Kaiman. Uh, so 
this is an interesting sentence. The sentence is, 她开门的样子真优雅. So the, that means her appearance, when, when opening the door, her appearance was truly elegant. Um, can you help me understand how this conveys the meaning of looking elegant? How does the de work with yangzi to convey looking? So if we take away kaimen and we just say ya, that is pretty easy to understand, right? Like it's like yangzi is her appearance. Tadi or Yangzi's appearance, Tadi Yangzi is her appearance. And you add in Kaiman the Yangzi, Ta Kaiman the Yangzi is just saying her appearance while opening the door. Right? So you can just ima imagine that you're sitting in your house alone and uh, a lovely woman in a nice gown walks through the door and you go, Oh, Ta Kaiman the Yangzi, Jen Yoya. Right? So it's like kind of, uh, it's just adding in that extra detail of Kai. Uh, how she looks when opening the door. Um, and so, yeah, that's all it is. It's just, you know, if you, it, with any of these sentences, you know, try to break it down into its more uh, basic components. You could just say, ta yo ya. I mean, you'd probably want to say, ta hen yo ya, or ta zhen yo ya. That's fine. Ta de yang zhen yo ya. Fine. Ta kai men de yang zhen yo ya. Right? So, all of these different modifiers of yangzi are still just applying to ta. Nice. Another good question from Jason Pond on new vocabulary unlocked for kai hui. Kai le yi tian de hui is the section of the sentence. He says, is the meaning of held a meeting all day affected by the le yi tian de, le yi tian de, bisecting kai hui? Does it translate to something like held entire day's meeting one entire day's meeting uh pretty much so kai hui kai is a verb uh to hold in this case you know and then when it's w combined with hui it's that usage of to hold uh and kai also means to start so you can sort of see how like kai and it means to open so like uh open a meeting hold a meeting start a meeting you know they kind of all orbit the same general set of meanings and hui is a meeting that usage of hui is like a noun meaning a meeting of people in some way just a congregation of people is a hui right and so that means we have a verb followed by a noun in one word kai verb hui noun so when you have a verb followed by a noun that's what we call the verb what structure and when you have a verb what structure, you have the option to open them up. That's called a li he zi. Li, uh, distant, he, uh, combined. So di like basically separate, separable verb, right? And so kai le yi tian de hui. So kai le, the le applies to kai in the sense it's saying it's over, like Jason said. Yi tian de hui is modifying hui, right? So Kai le hui is fine. Kai le yi tian de hui is also fine. Um, kai le yi tian de fa bu hui. That's fine too. That's saying it's a, not just a meeting, it's a meeting uh, that is for releasing a product, right? So ca Apple will have a product release and that's called a fa bu hui, right? So fa bu means to release. A fa bu hui is the event for the releasing, right? Chinese is easy. So kai le yi tian de hui. Right, all of these things are different ways of modifying hui, and the l just indicates that it's happened already. Um, yeah, so hopefully that makes it clear. You, when you have one of those separable verbs, when you have one of those verb what structures, you can t break them apart and modify the uh, the the noun with whatever comes before it, and you can also put a particle after the verb like l or guo. Have you ever held a meeting, right? And so you can put the guo after hui in that way. Or, or before hui and after kai. Nice. Next, Julia, uh, Julie Henshalund on New Vocabulary Unlocked for Chunian. She says, a question about Chunian So the only difference between one month, as in any random month, and January is and respectively. Respectively. Seems reasonable. That's right, Julie. You're right. So 
uh, if I want to say uh, three months, I want to say right? Um, if I want to say March, I say So as soon as you give a measure word to it, uh, and you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting way to think of it because when you say, uh, you're, you're basically saying that the purpose is that it's, there's no, like, there's no measure word there, right? It's just, it's a title, right? But when you say, the is saying you're measuring time now because there's some kind, you're measuring months. So, there's some kind of measure word, and therefore, you can imagine it as three months. So you basically, you figured it out. Nice job, Julie. Another one from Julie on New Vocabulary Unlocked for Kanfa. Would it be wrong to use high shirt instead of huo, since this sentence is a question? So here's the sentence. What views or opinions does his son have? And the answer here is that high shirt is not appropriate because that's not the question. The question is, what opinions or uh, perspectives does the son have? Um, views or opinions, right? The, it's what opinions. It's not, does he have uh, views or perspective or views or opinions, right? That would be kind of a weird question. So, like, if, if the sentence were, 他的儿子有看法还是想法呢? That would mean, does your son have views or opinions? Right, which would be kind of weird because they're basically the same thing. Uh, but when you say, then this, the question is, what views or opinions does he have? So the question is not uh, a choice between kanfa and xiangfa. It's a question of what are the kanfa and xiangfa. So hopefully that makes that clear. Another good question from Julie. She's asking some great grammar questions this week uh, on it's a word for dung. What is the usage slash meaning of shang in this sentence? So that's a section of the sentence. So where is he? He's he's in right? So he's at right? He's located at Now, think about this. Why might this be because now sometimes after a, a noun like a jia, like jia, like a house you could say li li means inside right and if you say li then the li is indicating that the relative relationship between the place and his location in this case inside it now we tend to think of being in the car but that's because cars in our lifetimes have always had roofs, except for convertibles. But the first cars, you sat on top of them, right? So shang just stayed that way in Chinese. It just stayed that you shang chu means to get in the car. And technically shang means on or above. So you'd think that would mean, you know, get, get you, 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 you'd think it would be like, to enter a car or but that's wrong it's just you use shang for both shang means to get in the car means uh inside the car so shang can be a verb in this case to get in and is what you're getting into and shang could be true of uh getting on a bus could be true of getting on a train um you could say shang feiji um which also means to um to get on a plane. So like the shang is just the verb you used for getting on. And then if you're already inside the car, you would say ta zai chu shang or wo zai chu shang, right? And then of course to get out of the car is uh xia chu, xia chu, not um you know, chu chu I suppose would be the exit car because you exit things that are totally enclosing you. You exit your house, chu men, right? You exit a store. But you uh, don't exit a car, you get off a car. Because, again, imagine it how cars originally were. You get down from the car. You get onto the car. So that's just how the language evolved, and it stayed that way. So good question from Julie there. Alex Sumray on Vocab Unlocked from Bao. He said, could the difference here be explained that Bao Fa 
is used more to show something has broken out like a fight, whereas bao is to say something literally like a balloon has exploded. Uh, that's right. Yeah, bao fa. Like usually you think of um, zhan zheng bao fa, which is uh, a war. A war broke out or a fight broke out. Uh, so mob fight broke out somewhere in Portland. Um, but uh, you know, the, the idea is that bao fa is a little bit more metaphorical in its meaning. Whereas bao is the act of something intensely exploding in some way. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be like a like a balloon, yeah, like you know, qi uh, chou bao la, or lun tai bao la. That's your tire uh, uh, pops, right? You would say lun tai bao la, right? So uh, that's yeah, that's how that works basically. Um, so bao, if it's just by itself, I mean. There's probably some, uh, uh, y like you could say, um, uh, which is kind of a way of saying that somebody's, uh, like, so that's, that means that is your temper. is like to, but again, that's once again, it's combining it with another word, fire, so like that's in a metaphorical example of somebody, uh, blowing up. Uh, but it's more like emotional blowing up. But, uh, yeah, generally, bao by itself is literal. Nick Smith on set the scene for uh, 2 of 13, he says, Is it okay to use an animated set for one of my sets? When the name Andy was mentioned, I immediately thought of Andy from the movie Toy Story. And since the word animation also begins with an, I'm thinking it, it'll be perfect for any scene that is animated to represent that final. Uh... You know, I think this could work, probably. Um, you know, it would be interesting. Like, you could imagine that a scene is happening, like, say, in The Simpsons' house. You know, I can imagine different rooms from The Simpsons. I watch that show enough. Uh, it's kind of a testament to how amazing our Im imaginations are that this is probably possible for a lot of people. I think I could do it. I think I could probably imagine being outside the entrance of The Simpsons' house, being in the living room, uh, being in the kitchen, um, even I can imagine being in the bathroom because of that famous scene where uh, Bart breaks a chair over Homer's head while he's in the bath. So, yeah, I, I would say that that's possible. I mean, it, to some degree, it might be better to pick somewhere from your own life because there's probably more emotional content there. But as I'm saying that, I mean, there's plenty of emotional content in animated uh, places, you know, in animated stories and all of that. So, you know, I think... Uh, I think it's okay. I think I'd be fine. You know, just be aware that you're kind of making a little bit of an exception, but yeah. Final question for this week, uh, and then we're going to do a pronunciation critique after that, but final question for this week, Liam uh, Lamazares, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Lamazares, on compound final O-U, from Pronunciation Mastery, he says, hey guys, I was wondering what the function of the D in how de was, as I had only seen de used to indicate possession. Thanks for the help. So this is funny because this is one of those questions that um, I've never actually considered because you learn how de, meaning okay, so early in your process of learning Chinese that you definitely learn it top down. You don't like build up to learning how the it's just if you especially if you live in china as soon as you live in china you got to figure out pretty quickly how to say okay right so how the comes up i never really considered why the duh is there so but i have i think i have an answer but um let's first talk about the different ways that you could say okay so we can compare and contrast them so one is uh just to say how you can just say how directly to someone uh, and that's probably the most neutral of all of them. It's just, okay, fine, how, right? You could say, how de, which is a little bit more enthusiastic. You you could say, it's like, okay, you know, how de, sure. Like yesterday, I uh, asked Annie to uh, help me with something that we were working on, a project we're working on now. And she just, uh, I, we were going back and forth and I was like, hey, sorry, I'm really busy right now. Um, can I just ask you to please keep looking into this? And she was just like, how the exclamation point. And I thought that what she's essentially doing there is just getting across that, okay, I'm fine with this. I'm enthusiastically doing the request. Um, so we've got how and then how the. 
Another one is This one is either neutral or slightly negative, right? So might be what you say when you've accepted uh, not the news you wanted, right? So like, uh, sorry, we can't accept your offer. Or uh, I tried to find an answer for you, but unfortunately they didn't, uh, they didn't know the answer. Right. It's sort of got this feeling of like, all right, I accept it's not what I was hoping for, but it's over now. Right. And so uh, that's one way to say it. Now, that's if there's it's halba with a period. What if it's halba with a question mark? Then it can be a rhetorical question that's essentially an educated guess. So one of the usages of ba is to uh, make a suggestion. And another usage of it is to make an educated guess. So uh, you go home and you see somebody, uh, it, let's just say my girlfriend comes in and she sees me sitting on the couch and I look really like slovenly and she might go, uh, oh, she doesn't speak Chinese. Well, she speaks a little Chinese, but, uh, but she, right? So you just ate, didn't you? That's what the ba is. She's like, oh, you look like you just ate, right? So it's like, and she's pretty sure of what it is. So she says, bah, but she's not like 100% sure. Maybe I have another reason for looking so slovenly, but, uh, right. So she's guessing I just ate. Now, if I say with a question mark, what I'm saying is a rhetorical question, uh, that is essentially just, you know, good. Right. And so you can imagine the, the way I always remember this is the, uh, saxophone player at a gig I was playing in inner Mongolia where he was doing a one man show and he was doing like, he was like, I'm going to play a Billy Joel song next. How about, right. It's like sort of this kind of feeling of, I bet you're going to like this. So I'll just say how about at the end. And it will mean, it's just a rhetorical question meaning good. Right. You know? So that's another way you can also say holla holla. And, uh, this one means okay. And we're moving on. It's it's completed. L means completed, right? So hala means uh, I've accepted what's going on, and we now are going to move on to the next thing. So uh, uh, somebody's helping you, and they finish helping you, but it's maybe not clear whether or not you are, are done needing their help. You can just say hala, and they'll know. Okay, it's over now. Or maybe you're having a conversation, and the conversation is, uh, you know, it's it's uh, getting to be on a topic you don't want to talk about anymore. So you just go, hala, uh, <laughs> you know, like you just change the subject. So you say, hala, right. Um, that, that could be a way to do that. Now, the original question was, what is the D in halta? Well, as I mentioned before, uh, you know, halta is kind of like a, the most enthusiastic response. Now with D, if you, if you're talking about some kind of possession, if it's obvious through the context what is being possessed. You can omit that. Uh, so, um, like, I hold up this book and I say, Right? And, like, so this would mean, is this yours? I could say, Right? So, is this your book? But because I'm holding the book, I could just say, and I don't need to say shu. So in the case of how the, it's almost like you're saying the situation is good. How the right? Now you would never, ever, ever say qiang because it's obvious from the context, right? Like so, if I say to Annie, "Can you please just um, help me figure out the answer to this?" and she's like, "Okay, the situation is good. The situation is fine." How the, right? There's no need to add in that what she's saying is that the request is fine or that the situation is fine or that the whatever it is that is clearly contextual is fine or good because that's it's a response to what you just said how does always a response to something somebody said so it's like you're basically saying that thing is fine and so uh that's i think the function of duh there Totally overanalyzed. Don't need to think about it this much. Uh, like I said, I've been learning Chinese since 2013, and I never, ever thought about it, and it didn't matter. So it's not that it's important to know, but 
that's just some thoughts about the language and how it is structured. So uh, next, we're going to move on to a pronunciation critique from one of our course members. All right. This is a audio critique, a pronunciation critique of the conversation going on a date read by a member of the Mandarin Blueprint Method course. So uh, she'll remain anonymous. We'll just refer to her as the student. And uh, the student focused on uh, trying to practice shadowing this piece and then recording herself reading it out loud. And uh, for the most part, she did a great job, but there's a couple of areas where we can see some slight improvements. So let's uh, listen to the whole thing one time through and then point out a couple areas where uh, she did well and a couple areas where we can uh, still improve. So let's start from the beginning. Okay, nice. So overall, I think this is understandable. A Chinese person will uh, get pretty much every sentence. There might be a couple areas where they misunderstood something, but for the most part, they would understand this, which to me is success. Communication is the goal. Native-like pronunciation is the dream, right? It's like, you know, it's it's fine to have an accent. It's fine to get something slightly off so long as you're understood. So right off the bat, my overall critique is that this is good enough to be understood by a Chinese person, which means good enough, right? So that's one bit. Now, let's go ahead and get into a couple of the little weeds here. First of all, the first sentence I think was overall pretty good with the um, one exception of the two fourth tones in the sentence. We have right? So we want to make sure that that fourth tone, starting high, ending low, is uh, very clear. And so let's listen to how Annie does it. And let's listen to the student again. Right, so we the ending was great, kaisin, and that's very important because if you end a sentence well, Chinese people will really understand it. Um, but the wei and zhe could be a little bit more pronounced. They were more like a fifth tone, really. And, and so just add a little bit more of that fourth tone emphasis. Okay, now, um, next sentence, uh, we'll skip that. Let's go to the uh, sentence here. Listen to this phenomenon that happens when she starts with yuelashena. Uh, so let me just go forward a little bit. So if we look there, you'll notice that the what happened is that she rhymed the end of the two sentences from a tonal perspective. Yeah, Right, so they kind of sounded the same, but they were both ending on a second tone um, or sort of a rising situation. Now, in the case of Shayna, it's sort of like she is a rising tone, so n sort of sounds like it's a part of it. That makes sense, and that's not really wrong. But naga meinu is the way you would say uh, a second tone, third tone. So that you just want to be careful of that, that sometimes when you, you establish a tone, it's easy to want to repeat that tone. So uh, let's continue. The next one I wanted to point out was uh, the uh, Let's listen to this. So it was just, was just a bit rushed and Jin kind of got lost. That actually might be the only area in this, this uh, whole thing where a Chinese person might ask you to say that again, because Jin needs its full representation in the, uh, the sentence. And it felt a little bit rushed. So if you listen back again, you'll hear what I mean. So let's just listen to that again. So it's a little bit rushed. So that's, um, you know, normal, easy to happen, especially when you're trying to read the whole thing. So just make sure. If you, if you ever run into that, uh, you can always pause at that point when you're practicing. Right? 
Okay. Now, another thing I noticed was the this sentence here. Um, let's listen to how Annie says it. Now, let's listen to how the student did it. Uh, I might have to lead up to it a little bit. Let's see here. So, you notice there, Tana, right? So, there's that, that rising at the end, which is a very, very common thing to want to do when you know English, because that's how we sort of end sentences that are on a question, which this is a question, so it's completely understandable. But, Right, so just make sure if we've got a fourth tone, or sorry, a first tone, followed by a fifth tone, which uh, n is always a fifth tone, you're going to be lower. Tana. Tana. Right, so that's one to consider. And then um, let's just listen to the final little bit here uh, from the student. Alright, so good ending. Right, I would say that the Ooh, sound you had a little bit more front of your mouth, like shoo, 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 back of the throat, even shoo, but it was the right tone and it was a good, it was very clear. Anybody would uh, get that. Now, one thing I noticed here was the um, you went yi jian hong yi fu, right? But this is actually a tone sandy rule, it should be yi jian, yi jian hong yi fu, yi jian hong yi fu, because when you have the character yi. When it comes before a fourth tone, it changes to a second tone. Right, so that's how you say that. That was the only thing I noticed there. Overall, like I said before, understandable, and this is something that you'll uh, continue to get better at. I'm very impressed. So uh, well done to the student, and thank you so much for submitting the audio for critique. Thanks again to that student for submitting the going on a date pronunciation critique. Uh, we love it when people do that. It makes it very fun to kind of analyze that, and it gives you a chance to uh, sort of think about your pronunciation on an, a, an important level where you're kind of trying to see how close to perfect you can get it. And uh, if you have any of those you'd like to send us, you can do that at podcast at mandarinbluebird.com. Thank you again for listening. Head over to mandarinbluebird.com to learn more about what we can do to help you learn Chinese. And if you are a member already, keep leaving comments below the videos and keep posting in the community forum, and we'll see you next week.